0: Hi, this is episode number six of the Body High podcast. On today's show, you will be listening to an interview with Sheila Foster, a Jungian analyst who has written extensively on the awakening of kundalini, Samayama meditation, the divine mother, and archetypal energies. She created the Temple of the Sacred Feminine in the mid-1980s as a space which is devoted to the awakening, embodiment, and honoring of the sacred feminine in women, men, and and the planet and as a place for initiation in today's interview we discuss the purpose and relevance of initiatory work and getting in touch with our shadow archetype sheila defines archetypes as a universal pattern of experience for women she identifies five main archetypes that are present in our lives the mother the medial the amazon the lover and the queen All of these energies can be seen as potential personalities within ourselves and they exist within all women. But most of us are in touch with one or two of them and the rest we keep in shadow. All archetypes have light aspects to them as well as shadow aspects. And part of the purpose of initiation is to get us in touch with our shadow archetype. Because when we do, we discover a part of ourselves that wants to be known to us. As Sheila puts it, In our shadow lie our gifts, and when we can look at our shadow, a tremendous amount of energy is released. We also discuss healing our ancestral wounds, trauma, getting in touch with the mystery of life, reconnecting to the mother goddess, and the importance of consciously agreeing to be here on planet Earth as mortal human beings. Sheila is the first person I wanted to interview when I thought about starting this podcast. It was by reading her work that I first became acquainted with the idea of the mother goddess, the divine feminine, a concept I'd heard about in the past but didn't quite understand. Learning to see this divine female creative power as a part of who I inherently am has been huge in my journey to understanding and healing for my eating disorders. So I am very grateful to be able to share this conversation with you today. I hope you enjoy So, uh, Sheila, could you just please talk a little bit about yourself, uh, the kind of work that you do, and what got you interested in doing that?
1: I guess the essence of my work is to support people in turning toward their own hearts, both for healing and for the wisdom that is contained in our own hearts. The, The medicine we need for healing is in our own hearts. And as people approach that and are willing to hold and embrace their own pain, even if it's just a chewing, nibbling at the edges each time, what can happen is they will ultimately open to awakened consciousness. So my work is really initiatory work, work which means any life situation can be the portal to opening to not only healing and a deeper sense and understanding of self, but open to their deepest longing. Most people don't realize that what they long for and what they put their longing onto, what they attach it to, whether it's you know money, business, a home, children, all that's good but ultimately the deepest longing is only going to be fulfilled by the realization and the recognition that their own divinity is contained in within their own beings and in their own hearts so everything is a path to fulfilling some thread of longing and anything can be take you all the way take a person all the way to, ultimately to the mystery to an experience of the mystery, and to unitive consciousness. We're born feeling separate. You know, that the thing we often I find that's at the root of our sense of separation is incarnating, being born. You know, and some people know this. That I don't, they say, I don't want to be here. I never wanted to be here. <laughs> you know, they do then they work hard to not be here. <laughs> and then they come to a point, at least in my work, uh, they usually come to a point where they're willing to be here and then then can dive into the work of what it takes to be here. It's you a know? very
0: interesting concept, the idea of um, agreeing to be here. Because it's something that, like you said, some people are aware of that and they're like, I want to be here. Some people aren't aware that they haven't yet agreed to be here. Some people aren't aware that they're, in a way, saying to themselves, well, I don't like this. I don't, I, don't, I don't agree with the lack of fairness in life or the injustice or suffering. I don't like this human game. I don't think I even like human beings. I don't want to be here. That's, that's an interesting place to be because what's the alternative?
1: Well, you, you see people that don't want to be here. There is a lot of resistance, and if they're not conscious of it, There's a lot of resistance. It could be a lot of illness, a lot of accidents, a lot of difficulties in their lives because they're not embracing what is. Ultimately, again, part of what I do is teach people, show people, support people in learning to embrace what is as it is, even when it's something we don't like or want. We don't have to like it. We just have to, in a sense, admit, that it is what it is in that moment.
0: And I guess it's kind of like you say, you say something about how you know the, the road, the journey to initiation is a journey where the ego, it's not for the ego pretty much, like the ego is going to suffer along the way, the ego is going to die along the way. Many times. <laughs>
1: um, Life is the journey of initiation. That's where the initiations come from. For instance, when women enter my school and we are working on a particular archetype, doesn't matter which, or if women, I'm working with women individually, and they're not in that vessel of working on archetypes particularly, but they come up anyway, because we carry them all. What happens is, um, for instance, if we're working with a particular archetype, or a woman I'm working with individually is, say, dealing with her mother, That mother archetype is universal. You had asked the question, what's an archetypal wound? The mother wound is is an archetypal wound. If you consider the word archetypal, it means universal. That It's common in all cultures. It may look different, appear different, and be treated differently in different cultures. But we all have mothers, right? And some of us become mothers. So, so what will happen is um, life, what does happen is that life brings us what life brings us. All the impermanence, the incompletion, and the uh, imperfections. Shit happens, right? There's always something going on in our lives as humans. And if we're conscious and or want to be conscious then we look for something or someone who can lead us to understand that everything that happens to us has the potential to be in an initiation. An initiation opens awareness. It raises consciousness. You know, there's usually a longing when people are looking for something. They don't know what it is. They think it's this. They think it's that. Try this. Try that. Ultimately, the deepest longing is for awakeness of who we are, essentially.
0: Could you? I know it's a, it's, a, it's a word that everyone has heard. You know, everyone has heard the word initiation, and yet people don't know what it means. I, I don't think people really know what it means. When we think initiation, we think we, we may think like you know more relevant to to our days now. Perhaps you know joining a frat or a sorority. Or whatever. Yeah, 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 no, it's not that. But in 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 a lot of our you know ancient <coughs> cultures initiations were like ceremonial markings for dying yes. to your old self and being born to a new self. But that required a belief in certain traditions and a belief that your whole community was there with you doing that. Their recognition, you know, they're, they're witnessing this happening to you. They're providing uh, a structure for the different stages of life. And that is something that, you know, being the United States with so many millions of people and so many different religions and backgrounds, how how do you work with that? It doesn't
1: matter. The backgrounds don't matter. Women of all religions, all cultural backgrounds have been part at one time or another of the work that I do. Initiations are archetypal, which means in, again, universal. They've been going on since the beginning of Humans on the Planet. And uh, the way I see it is that every life experience that's difficult, challenging who you are, what your life is, our big losses, all of those things, having a child, some initiations are developmental, like puberty and getting married, having a baby, that sort of thing. But the initiations that relate to consciousness, can come upon a person and they don't know what's happening. That happened to me back in 1982, uh, a tremendous crashing of my entire life, a fire that burned literally burned the house across the street and killed my friends, woke up the Kundalini in me. I didn't know what was happening. What happened was When that energy of initiation becomes alive like that, even if you don't know what it means, um, it's important to have someone who can be a guide, and if you're paying attention, someone will show up. Initiation that involves the awakening of Kundalini and um, awakening of consciousness always provides what is needed, for the person to go through what they need to go through and attention is required. If somebody is just thrashing around, you know, terrified, they're not going to get that this is initiation and they're not going to be able to access all of the support that is available there both within them and that will come to them. There's a tremendous amount of synchronicity that happens with initiations. And that's what happened to me. I I did have support with some, interestingly enough, two men, my analyst and a very close spiritual friend at the time. and, um, And I had a spiritual practice going already, you see. And in a way, it doesn't matter what your spiritual practice is, if you have some connection on the inner levels with with yourself or with uh, some designated deity, again, it doesn't matter who or what, support starts to, to come and recognition starts to come. What I provide in my school and in the individual work is that support and is the, the holding vessel and the recognition of this is happening when people understand that there is actually a path a very clear um, it may not feel clear when you're in it but there's a structure to initiation it goes through very predictable phases Joseph Campbell spoke to this when he spoke of the heroic journey His the phases of that are very consistent with the the phases of initiation though we would call them they would have different names perhaps you know the names don't matter the names may differ culturally as well but the process and the gift of having somebody who's been through that process many times is is for instance I I hold a field with many experiences of my own over the course of a whole lifetime, really, 40 years consciously, but a whole lifetime of initiations and traumas that can then be brought into the the unconscious traumas of our lives, for instance, are initiations that we can't process because we're young or we're just uninformed. But they can be brought into that initiatory vessel at any point when somebody has entered it and has the guidance of a, a guide, a support, you know, somebody that, that can hold the space because they understand that this isn't the end of the world. It's it, it feels like it, and it's the end of one world, but it's the beginning of another world. Another life is beginning. And, of course, when you're in the throes of the, the pain of it, you don't see any other life.
0: So initiation, is this pretty much synonymous with suffering?
1: I would say pain is pain is uh, suffering can be of two kinds it can be the uh, the the word means to bear under the latin root of the word is to bear basically to bear under great pain but um suffering can be uh, spiral people down into victimhood or again with consciousness it can be totally redemptive Redemptive meaning, bringing more consciousness, more self-awareness, as well as healing. So it's a pointer. Certainly pain is a pointer. Pointer to the mystery, ultimately. And that mystery lies within us.
0: In your heart, is you
1: Yeah. Well, it's our whole being, our consciousness. But the heart is the portal.
0: Um, you hold a space at the Temple of the Sacred Feminine. You hold a space for women to come and have these initiatory ceremonies. Um, And there's five particular archetypes that you tend to focus on. Could you cover those a little bit and just speak of who may need to get in contact with the queen, who may need to be initiated into the Amazon, who may need to be initiated into the lover? Well, women carry all of
1: these archetypes. Men carry them, too. Um, They have the masculine. Well, we carry the masculine and the feminine. Women also carry the masculine archetypes. In a different way than men do, just as men carry the feminine in a different way than the women than we as women do. They're dominant, for the most part, in our lives. An archetype is a universal pattern of experience, so everybody has the mother archetype in them. Um, the Amazon. I'm just speaking about women. The Amazon, the lover, the medial, or the mystic. And I, in my map of it, I see those as a medicine wheel in its own form with the mother at the top in the north, the Amazon in the east, the lover in the south, the medial in the west, and the queen stands in the center. The queen is the woman who has been around that spiral numerous times and has harvested the gifts of the, what lies in shadow or what has lain in shadow in her life. Every archetype has uh, a bright side and a dark side, and typically women carry, um, one or two of them may be very known and familiar and bright, and the other two may be completely or partially in shadow. Um, There's usually some part of shadow in all of them for everybody, but some are more in shadow. I notice when I give out the, the personal ritual work for the women to do on the different archetypes as they come up. Um when they get to the one where they don't want to do the work, that's the most important one because that's the one that is most in shadow. And it's the one then that has the most gifts, you know, the most empowerment because uh it's been either shut down or not permitted or somehow conditioning has has kept it underground
0: and that's important because when a lot of people if you hear the word shadow you may not be totally familiar with it it's easy to associate it with evil or not good or that dark side of me I don't want to look at when in fact you're saying the opposite like shadow is actually something that you want to pay attention to yes well
1: what's in our shadow is what has been unwanted unloved unallowed unknown you know, and it can have I'm not saying it can't have a mean side to it it can, but again, even when you turn towards some part of you that just wants to bite somebody under that there's there's a child, there's always a child you know in all of these that either got nourished or didn't in one way or another you know and and often what's in it when you look at the darkest piece of your shadow. That may be arising under it's a little girl that didn't, or even an infant that didn't get fed somehow, didn't get seen, didn't get acknowledged, or was given away.
0: In the example of the lover, that 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 energy of this lover archetype uh, you suppressed within yourself because at some point in childhood it wasn't allowed to come out. Can you give an example of what that, like, what circumstances would create that?
1: it could it could be a family, Well, again, the lover don't it don't just think in terms of sexuality and sensuality. That's one piece of it, but it could be just simple contact, hugs and kisses. I know people that didn't get hugged or kissed or held as their little children. You know, um, certain families don't even say "I love you" to their children. And then that that person grows up and they don't say I love you to the people around them until they learn that that's what they're needing and that's what they want to give. So it's, and cultural, we're also very conditioned by our, not only our families and that, our lineages, but also by the culture we grow up in, by the church we go to, the schools we go to. You know, an awful lot of the initiation process isn't about giving you something. It's about freeing the the um, the bonds or or dropping the scales that have been covering your authenticity with conditioning. You know, nice girls or this and. In certain religions, I grew up in the Catholic religions. there were more don'ts than do's for anything and you know it, it, all kinds of things like that. every culture, every family has them.
0: part of the human experience is, the most rewarding part of it is know oh. that shadow side right. <clears throat> an identity you didn't even you weren't even familiar it's like a totally new person. you're like, "Well, hello, that part of me. I didn't know what's there now I have to yeah see you." <laughs> And, and a
1: tremendous amount of energy is released. And you don't know what kind of energy that's gonna be. You know, if it's a little girl who never got to play much or didn't get to color, it could be, there could be a tremendous amount of creative energy come bursting forth when that little girl is met. You know, the, the, the shadow work, it's, it, it requires addressing pain because the pain is the pointer But when you go toward
2: it, you and the way again in the way I work, I know there is always a child underneath it. Sometimes it's even a baby or an or a a prenatal experience. You never can tell because we inherit our mother's nervous
1: systems. So whatever might have been going on with her—if she wanted you, if she didn't want you—you know—if she was being abused somehow—you know—all the ten thousand things that could be happening to her go in, into our nervous systems as as we live inside her, and then we're left to
2: deal with that too, not to mention the ancestral uh, programs that come from our families, you know, our fathers and mothers, whether we knew who they were or not. We, we end up carrying the baggage of our ancestors because in most cases they were not able to deal with the grief and loss losses in their lives
0: it's almost like healing like for me at least i think about it as you know the suffering and the limitations that my grandmother had all that she went through to get me to where i to where i happen to be sitting at today so for me it's like getting to know that shadow side it's not just about me it's a way of like acknowledging the pain the trials that that all of our ancestors went through all the women before us who fought so hard so where we're where we're at now acknowledging them and like kind of healing
2: them. Yes, well, it's yes, and it's not only healing them when we take on, when we recognize that we're carrying something for them, and this happens all the time. This is why I love family constellation, where you get to see what what people are carrying for others and do a process, a little ritual of giving back to the ancestors what is theirs and keeping what is yours. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is also putting an end to certain um, repetitive traumas so that then those who come after you, they could be your children, they could be your sister's children, or even the grandchildren, you know. It puts an end to those traumas being carried again and again and again. Much of what we carry that we think is our own isn't. Some of it is. Some of it's what we come in karmically to deal with and to learn from. And some of it is, is the baggage in the family field that has never been addressed. The things that were never spoken, you know, the grief that was never felt, that sort of thing.
0: It's a very new way of looking at your pain or whatever is troubling you because, at least my perception of the, the overculture, is that you pick yourself up by your own bootstraps you know you take responsibility for who you are you know it's a willpower you do it yourself it's like this superman type of culture and and for some people it may be very uncomfortable to say there's energies that are affecting me that i have no control over like this is something that has nothing to do with me and this whole process can be very uneasy for a lot of people because you don't know where it's going to take you
2: no, well, we never do anyway.
0: But you think you do. We
2: don't have any control. Think about what you put on your calendar that doesn't happen.
0: <laughs> Thanks for you saying know? that. Thanks for saying that. It's <laughs> so much better. <laughs> well, we,
2: we're under the illusion that we have control over everything, and we have control over nothing, really. You know? We, and, and that is scary to the egoic structure. You know people again people have to have an experience or they're called in some way to be to consciousness in some way and and some people never are in this lifetime and that's a sad thing but it's it's a fact you know when we're called to consciousness then usually what we need as I said before begins the people we need the messages we need begin to show up and Sometimes strange and mysterious ways. Yeah, we there's, we don't have control over much of anything. I can say, I'm can say i going to do this, I'm going to do that. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. I'm not in charge of that.
0: Could you talk a little bit about this concept of goddess? Because it's something that I became familiar with through reading you, primarily. That's, that was my first encounter with it. And I found it fascinating, but it was very difficult for me to grasp because I also grew up Catholic. Because I didn't grow up with a female, an idea of a female energy, creative energy, it, it does feel still a little bit foreign to me. The more I read it, the more, and the more I identify it within myself, the more familiar it becomes, the more it's like, well, duh. But could you just explain a little bit about this idea of what, who was the goddess? What is it? What is the energy behind it? What is, how is that even relevant to us in 2016?
2: Well, feminine energy and masculine energy are what dance and play in the world of duality. A lot of women come to me, contact me, because they're wanting to know the goddess, and they're saying what you're saying. What is she? What is this? How do I connect with it? I don't know what it is. I was fortunate in my Catholic church, as a little girl of six, to discover the Blessed Mother and she was my main mother for many years and then after i had the kundalini awakening i discovered oh there are goddesses all over the world every culture has a goddess the the western culture white western culture has the was given eve but it was just eve was trashed she would have been our mother goddess. Just about every indigenous culture on the planet has a mother goddess, some kind of creative matrix. And and there's evidence of this in the archaeological world. Maria Gimbutas, if you get interested in looking, uh, know about her. Yeah, she, you know, the the archaeo- male archaeologists trashed her because they thought she was nuts when she was saying that items found these little carvings and little statues of women were found in Eastern European places were
0: uh, gets so hard to say but yes that area uh, okay. what I
2: when I see an experience and I see that helps people women that ask is first of all just start asking to know her mm-hmm. whether you're speaking to the clouds or you're speaking to... Maybe it was Mother Mary back when you were six, and you, you forgot all about her. Or maybe you have no connection with any kind of feminine deity. It gets a sense of a personal relationship, ultimately. But whether she's from any culture, whichever she were taught, you want to name, is a representative, usually of a, a quality of the entire divine, which is neither masculine nor feminine. The ultimate divine embrace is, contains duality. Duality is not the top of the ladder by any means. So I invite women to do a little exploring. Go, go look at some mythology. Look at some creation myths. You know, what draws you? What's your heritage? Then go look that up and see where, you know, if there were some goddess figures, goddess images, or is there a culture that interests you or a goddess you've heard of? You know, we can love all kinds of goddesses and because, they, in a sense, they, they each carry their own magic and their own particular vibratory field. Korn Yin or uh, Durga, the Hindu goddesses. I mean, every culture has them. African goddesses are beautiful. And they all represent and embody a a feminine energy, and it's a way of getting to know. You can even just ask for a dream, or ask inside. Show me, show me, show me, show me your face.
0: When I started reading you, it was, I mean, I'm so grateful for having come across your work, Um, specifically with this that you're talking right now, because I, for so long, felt, oh, why can't I be more in control of my feelings, or... Why can't I suppress these more? I'm so weak or I just need to why am I always crying about things and it would it would be so upsetting to me because it made me feel like I had no control, like I needed to grow up, like I needed to you know mature and and you know be a big girl and just suck it up when I became familiar with your work and I um, started to see the goddess as this archetypal energy, then this isn't just something that I see outside in the world it is something that is happening within me. So perhaps sometimes yeah. my anger shouldn't be channeled in a particular way, but that anger, that's Kali, you know, that's like destructive. There's a part of me that gets angry or the part of me that gets depressed or the part of me that loves and wants to create and wants to do things, that's Demeter. Like, it's, These are yeah. energies that I can now use to make sense of my inner world. And once yeah. you see those your emotions, even your even the ones you don't necessarily like, your shadow ones, you begin to relate to them as divine energy in some way, shape, or form. It's energy that is happening within you. Emotion is motion within you. That has been here since the beginning of time, but now it's expressing itself in your little temper tantrum or you crying over a movie. Yep. That was very helpful because then it made me realize that it's within me. I'm it.
2: Yes, you are. You are she. You're also in what you're referring to are the patriarchal conditions and conditioning that we've all lived with for more than two thousand years. You should you should suck it up. You should be or You shouldn't cry. You know, you should get over the death of somebody that matters in three days and go back to work and you know, all that is crap. That is, that's the shadow masculine. You know, the bright masculine doesn't do that.
0: Just for people who, who are listening to this, who may not be familiar with this term of patriarchy, could you like briefly explain what you mean by that?
2: Well, uh, patriarchy is usually a shadow masculine energy that is divisive. It can be cruel. It can be controlling. Ultimately, underneath any anybody that's trying to be ultra co- controlling is terror, and and for you know when you get into the mythologies and you get into reading about other cultures and ancient, uh, well, and psychology as well, there's a terror. Many masculine, many men fear women. They see women as bad. The Bible, for instance, was written during a time of utter misogyny. So they trashed Eve. She would have been our mother goddess had they not turned her into this vile temptress, you know, who ruined everything, right? So patriarchy is what's controlling the world right now. Look around. Look at the wars. Everywhere you look, they're, they're controlling. The government is trying to control something and stop something they're impinging on our freedoms right and left, day after day now. That's patriarchy. That's the shadow patriarchy. It comes from the word pater, which is father. It's the father God, the, the Yahweh, the judgmental, you know, this is right and this is wrong. And It's a story. It's a story. People don't get that. It's just a story made up by a few men in the second and third centuries that suited them.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things Joseph Campbell talked about, the problem with Christianity is that we stopped seeing it as myth. We started seeing it as reality, as factual. But if you actually look at it more as like historical, what kinds of events brought it about, who was, you know, what other, you know, what what religions were there before, you know, what was going on at the area in the time in terms of power and politics and all this stuff, then you kind of get a different appreciation for it. Yeah. Um, it, It made me, once I started looking at it that way, it made me. Stop resenting it so much and appreciating it for the good, and just seeing, just seeing it, you know, with like, without any judgment, just going, huh, that's interesting how that came about. That's interesting that I believe this was true for so long. (laughs) Could you talk a little bit about? Can you initiate on your own? You don't do
2: initiation. No one does initiate. I mean, I know organizations have ceremonies, and we can, and on my own temple work, we provide ceremonies. But they're containers, they are not doing the initiation. The initiation comes from the essential self from being consciousness itself. It's like or uh, uh, you ripen into a certain point and or this is what you're to be learning so that you can be here on the planet and offer often initiations when they' when they haven't been aborted the teachings that come from a wound that may happen to you, that you lose somebody that you love deeply. That's that's an initiatory moment if you can take it that way and if you're, you have somebody, even just one somebody, that can support you in looking beyond, It's not necessarily day one, but looking beyond the 3D happening add your emotions about that to a bigger picture where something very uh, spiritual and cosmic is at work with you and then if you can be held to begin to discover the gift you know and I'm not saying that happens in three days it doesn't. But but if you know that there is a pony in there somewhere, and you'll and sooner or later it's going to emerge, it makes a difference when somebody is holding space for you, so that you can then go into the deepest, darkest, most excruciating anguish that that event causes you, come fall completely apart, and then that person or being or group, your group, is holding you. So that then when, when again, it's all a very natural process. We think it's not, but it is very natural. When you begin to emerge from that depth, then you've got a holding vessel that can support you in finding and seeing the transformation that's ha- beginning to happen, the gifts that are beginning to come out of that. No initiation is complete until we've arrived at what the teaching is, and they, and then what we're supposed to. How how do we share this? How do we share what we have learned? You it's know, Campbell's correct. model.
0: Correct. I was just going
2: to say it's like. Casual. You know, Campbell's model again. He uses a certain language, which I love, and in some worlds the, the language is different, but the the, the sequence of events are, are very similar in structure. And until, the initiation is not complete until we've gotten the teaching and that, uh, the gift, so to speak, and we know how to return it to our community. And a community mean could mean your family, could be your children you teach, if that's what your work is. If you're a therapist, it could be the people you work with. You know, somehow the gift has to be given and shared at the end.
0: And right now, that's beautiful that you, you say that because your article what's happening to the planet is happening in us um it's a time i believe that we're living in as a as a species not just me but obviously so many other people believe this we're living we're living in a time where the planet is may not be able to sustain life for a lot longer if we continue to grow in population at the rate that we're growing if we continue to you know, deplete its resources and pollute the air and kill our forests and completely eliminate all sources of food, we're gonna die. We could potentially die, which is a dark place to go. And it's a dark place to go because that's scary and nobody really wants to think about it, but we're facing a very, um, potentially a very dark time for the species. How important is it that we become more conscious of our own inner, that we do the work within the self, even things we may not think are relevant to quote-unquote saving the world, but you know, it's like, well, how does me learning to like my body have anything to do with saving the world? You know, How does no. me learning to be nicer to myself have anything to do with saving the world? Um, could you just talk a little bit about that, like the importance of you know, self-reflection and how it is linked to the changes, the positive changes we can make for the world?
2: You know, you hear about oneness, you hear people talk in terms of everything is connected, and it is. Physicists are talking about this now, finally. But uh, beings, humans have known this for thousands of years. And as, as we become more conscious, say as you do more body work and you become more conscious in your body. Or you do therapy and you become more conscious, or you take on a spiritual practice and you become more conscious, or you go volunteer at the the homeless center, and you become more conscious that there are of what people suffering is. You know, if it doesn't matter what the task is, um, if you're doing it with heart and intention, of, to become more conscious. You're then contributing to the consciousness of the, at, the uni, at the level of the unitive field. You may only be doing this in your tiny little world, but it, the consciousness, is like the air we breathe. It's, everybody's breathing the same air. Uh, it's very similar to that. And there comes a point in our awakening process when we not only can feel the unitive, we can see it. And I don't mean see it. Well, we see, you can see it somewhere with your eyes, but it's with the inner eyes. You, you begin to see it and hear it. And there's a resonance that arises in the body that lets you know that, that um, you're not separate. And you may become more empathic. You may become more sensitive to other people's pain, other people's suffering. And what I'm aware of is that some people are called to look directly at it, and it sounds like you are, and some people are called not to look at it. You can't judge either way, you know. People say, why are you looking at all that dark stuff? Why are you reading about all that dark stuff? Some people are called to bear witness to it, and that—that that is... You know, and then you could, there are practices. There's a the Buddhist practice of Tom Lin. You breathe in the suffering of the world, and then you breathe out compassion to that suffering. So, whether you're monitoring the whole world, which we can't possibly, there's so much going on out there that is so dark and so painful, so many suffering people or you're, you're, you're focused on your neighborhood or you're focused on one member in your family who's going through something or a friend or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as you're in some way conscious of other, another person suffering and empathic to it and you're doing your best to be as conscious in your own life, you are adding to the consciousness of the planet. There's more consciousness on the planet now than there ever was. There may be more darkness than there ever was, too. But eventually, well, you know, eventually, Jung said that any, anything, any feeling, any experience, anything um, will go to the farthest extent it can go, and then it swings back. He used the word an antiodromia. I always think of a pendulum, you know, that things get as bad as they can get, and yet, at a certain point, they begin to shift. We can see this in our online. an antidromia. E n a n t i a d r o m i a. An antidromia. Yeah. yeah, it's a Greek word. You know, we we may not live long enough to see the end of all these wars that are going on and you know, that insanity. It's it's insane. We're looking at an insane world. We're dealing with an insane government in this country, in other countries. I mean, it's it's totally crazy, you know. Um, and yet, if we can maintain a sense of, um, uh, have our own little sanctuary of consciousness, you know, whether we pray, we meditate, whatever we do, maybe we give service once a week somewhere, um we are we are adding to the consciousness on the planet and as more and more people get conscious the the sooner this is all the craziness is going to stop
0: so but but then part of again that consciousness that isn't required is means that you have to look at your shadow stuff you know you, you got to open up the closet door and see what skeletons are there and stare at them you know with compassion with patience with, I think yeah. curiosity is a really interesting one because because curiosity yeah. get, curiosity to me is linked to that childhood wonder of like, ooh, yeah. I wasn't really judging. I was just staring going, ooh, I wonder what that's all about. So it allows you to kind of make it not so personal, detach yourself from these things that you've considered to be you. And you can just look at them as, huh, aren't those interesting that we um, yeah. in a ways befriend
2: when you be, befriend your shadow, then you're bringing forth more resources for yourself and for whatever your gift may be.
0: Yeah. Like you said, the yeah. shadow has a lot of gifts, and I find that also the shadow like, kind of speaks to you. It's like, hey, you know, I wasn't trying to scare you. I didn't mean to, like, knock at your door like this. I just really wanted <laughs> to get your attention because there's something yeah. I think you should know. I think it might be good for you if you pay attention to what I have to say. For me, it was my eating yeah. disorder um you know where before i'd get like these urges to binge and purge and all i knew was i don't want i oh i cannot wait till i no longer feel this way i can't wait till i finally get cured and fixed i never want to feel this way again yeah i I transformed that to wait i feel like i want to binge why do i want to binge what is that about oh i noticed my energy is shifting because i was around those people and those people started to talk about things made me feel negative and now i feel this anxiety which makes me want to calm myself down so once i actually began to look at the stuff about myself that i didn't hadn't talked to anybody about to me now at least my eating disorder is my bff because it's always there with me anytime it comes up as an urge to binge or to do anything that's self-destructive i no longer look at it as what's wrong with me i look at it as what's right with me that there's the shadow part of me that is trying to get my attention in a very violent yes. manner, but it's trying to do it in a violent manner because it's, a, it's an important issue.
2: Yes. Yes, and you can take your inquiry further by asking or checking out even visually, can you see a little girl that is somehow connected to this, the feeling to binge? feelings that bring up that that uh, behavior and then when you can see or feel a little bit of the youngest you that had that feeling or something similar you can engage her in active imagination visualization see what it is she really needs and ask you know she may or may not know but you may know as the adult Mm -hmm. in that you know, in that little conversation, maybe she just needs to be held and soothed. Maybe that. Maybe she needs to be taken away out of the situation that was going on in the family. You know, ten thousand possibilities. But that you can work with. And you once you, in a sense, bring these little girls to you, and there are a lot of little girls in all of us that didn't get seen or didn't get attention or were hurt somehow you know, a bandit, whatever. We bring those little girls to, in a sense, up to against our own hearts, Um, then you have, that's a way of integrating the energy of the resource, because she's the resource. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, I I, I agree. Could you talk, just as we finish, the last thing, you mentioned um, how Carl Jung uh, said that all human beings have a religious instinct. And I like for you to talk about that because there is something about the innate biological need because of the way the brain works and perhaps the way the soul works, a need for symbols, rituals Mm -hmm. and beliefs, which I believe are kind of like the themes, the motifs in religion. Even if for people who who are not consider themselves religious, why do all human beings, whether you have a religion or not, have a religious instinct?
2: Well, again, religious instinct doesn't have anything to do with religion in the way that we know religion, Catholicism, Judaism, Buddhism, any of that. It's not an ism in the sense that the word is rooted in the Latin, which means to go back to the source, to bind back to our original source. Our original source is the vastness. You know, it's 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 the unnameable divinity, we, we call it a divinity in Buddhism, they don't have divinities they call them something else you know, the vastness, the true nature our essential essence you know, we can substitute a lot of words for that and um, so using that as a frame you can see where for instance, addictions can be a religion in the sense of trying to get to something they know is there, but they can't quite find it. And they know this isn't it, but they can't quite stop it. Or people shop religion, but then all, most religions have all these rules and dogmas and things um, that don't work or don't feel good anymore, or, or they cling to them and then something can happen and they're disappointed. It didn't, the church didn't come through for them or whatever, so many people come and go. Um, sometimes people do get it through an organized religion, but what they if they are feeling fulfilled and really touched by the mystery, it's not the religion that's, that's doing it. It could be contact with some one person in that whole congregation that has loved them, you know, or it could be some mystical experience they had on their own as they were sitting in some ceremonies that might be going on. we you know, I think we're, we're always, our, our first experience of incarnation, we are in the oneness of, of our mother, right? We're in, inside her, we're in that unitive field with her, we come out and we're in that unitive field as infants for a while, And then we begin to separate and realize that, you know, that that she's separate. She's gone. Where'd she go? You know, even if she went in the other room. Um, And some way, we're all trying to get back to that unitive experience. And, of course, there's one beyond our mother, the big one. That's what he's pointing to, is that uh, our deepest longing is not for the pink Cadillac or... The new man, or you know, it, it may be a long a human longing, but the deepest longing goes back to the mystery. We want that. That's the only thing that will give ultim, ultimate fulfillment, and we can have that. It's here. It's not somewhere else. It's here. For instance, if you give, and you probably know this, when if you give full attention, if you're doing body work or dance or something, and you're giving complete attention. To what you're doing, you're going to feel a kind of bliss or a peacefulness, a joy maybe in it. People who make music, my son who makes music. And when he's in that, he is completely in joy. And that's what our essential nature is. That's what connection with the divine is. Merging with that joy And I'm not saying the divine is not also in these difficult things that we experience. It's in everything. Our work, uh, this human experiment, is to learn learn to look and be curious, as you're talking about, and wonder, what is all this? How how does this all work here? You know, what am I? What am I? That's one of the deepest spiritual questions. Who am I? Not in terms of my roles and my responsibilities, but what is this? What is it to be a human? It's right in front of us, and yet we don't see it unless somebody often, we come upon it mysteriously. I did as a child, by happenstance, circumstance, and sometimes it's, it's offered to us. So we have to go looking in terms of shadow, one way to get to know your shadow is to look and see who you judge or who you can't stand or that that person drives me crazy. That that's a mirror for something. And then what you can do is is inquire, how am I like that? In what circumstance am I like that? Maybe it's only one situation or maybe it's a threat through your whole life. We look at the violence and we say, How am I like that? And maybe it's not you're not beating anybody up and you're not, don't look like a violent person, but maybe you're violent with yourself and with a criticism. You know, we're talking beyond a different scale, but it's still what it is. So.
0: Yeah. Well, if you're violent like that towards yourself, the likelihood of you having enough creative energy, bound, boundless energy to give to the world is diminished because you're self attacking, you're slowly killing your soul
2: can't do it you can't to fulfill our purpose consciousness is essential
0: thank you so much Sheila. So yeah
2: this was really fun
0: you can visit templeofthesacredfeminine.com to learn more about sheila and her work there you can also check out her articles on kundalini samayama and the archetypes of sacred feminine initiation where she goes in depth On the five archetypes that we talked about during the show I can guarantee you that once you begin to understand this concept of archetypes which at first can take a little bit of time to truly grasp once it begins to sink in you will never see the world in the same way again everything you see you will see through archetypal lenses and this can be incredibly liberating because everything that you see happening within yourself including your emotions your thoughts your moods, everything that happens within you, you will be able to appreciate not as something that is just personal, but as something that is universal. And when this happens, you don't really mind so much the negative emotions because you realize that that's part of what links you to every person who's ever lived, every person alive or dead, your grandparents, historical figures who you admire, and those energies aren't just within human beings, but they are within everything that has life in the universe. Anger, depression, happiness, joy, creation, all of it. You are it. I will have links to this on the show notes, which you can find on iTunes or Block Talk Radio. Thank you for listening. I hope this was educational and insightful. Have a great day.